All right. Good morning, Rimrock. How are we this morning? Good. Good, good. You look good. It's promising, right? We have been walking through a series in the Proverbs where we've looked at practical living. How do we take the Word of God and the wisdom of Proverbs and apply it to our lives? And what I'm going to do this morning with the help of the Spirit of God is open up Proverbs 31 um, for us. And, and we're going to look at biblical characteristics of a godly bride. Okay? Now I want to lay down a few ground rules for you as we go along. Husbands, I'll be watching. I don't want any elbows into your wife's ribs. Okay? I, I'll keep your elbows to yourself. This is, this is going to be for you to be edified as, as, as well as the brides in the room. Women, I want to also address you that as we look through Proverbs 31 and the, and the biblical character of, of a godly bride, that there's no room for guilt. There's no room for condemnation. Those things are no longer yours. If we are in Christ, those are not for us anymore. And so men, I'll be watching your elbows. Ladies, uh, my prayer has been in preparation this week is that God would protect you from any kind of condemnation, any type of guilt as we move forward and we open the text. One other thing I want to mention is that as we look at uh, the, the godly characteristics of the bride, men, don't check out. Because one of the characteristics, one of the descriptions we have as the church is that we are the bride of Christ. So what we'll see as we unpack the scriptures is that you will see multiple things that are applicable to both male and female. So every one of us has the ability for the very Spirit of God to penetrate our hearts and illuminate things that are made applicable for us. So before I delve in, would you please join your hearts with me and we'll pray over this time and over God's uh, direction as we open his word. Father, thank you for this morning and again for the assembling of your bride. I thank you that you are the groom that will come back for us, that we are a day closer today than we were yesterday for your return. So to that we declare out loud, come Lord Jesus. Let this, may this be the day that you come to take your bride home. But until that day comes, we want to be a people that accurately handle your word. We want to be a people that look into your character revealed through your word and that we would be changed as your bride as we go forward. So Lord, let there be preparation that has already begun in every single heart that hears my voice, that you would have been preparing them for how your word is going to bring application to their lives. Don't let us leave here the same people. Let us leave here people that are encouraged let us leave here people that are convicted of areas that are wayward. Let us be people that are changed because we have met with the one true Jesus as you describe yourself through your word. We love you, Lord. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Turn open your Bibles or turn on your Bibles to Proverbs 31. We're going to start in verse 10. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through the next 22 verses. So we're going to wrap up the end of Proverbs 31 with, uh, with our talk this morning. One of the things that's really neat about the scripture here is that with 22 verses, what the author has done has taken one character from the Hebrew alphabet, and that is the beginning of each of these stanzas. 
So it's not just a randomness of thought. There's a very uh, particular order that the author has put Proverbs 31, especially this 10 through uh, the end of the chapter, together. The idea is this, that the original audience, the Hebrew people, would have known the Hebrew alphabet. They would have known the 22 characters in their alphabet. So when this text was brought to them, they said, oh, I see a pattern here. I see, like we would go A, B, C, all the way through Z. They have their Hebrews letters, and I don't know what they all are, but they have them to where they would have been able to see a, a system and a pattern. It's an acrostic that God has put for us in the Proverbs. So the, the intention of the writer was that the original reader would have read through these, recognized the pattern, seen the 22 different characters in the Hebrew uh, alphabet, and then would, have re, then would have memorized these truths. I would venture to say that even 3,000 years later, the intent is still the same. That we would be a people that memorize this word. Because remember, all of us have application here. Whether we are actually a bride, whether we are a single lady, whether we are a single man, or we are married, whatever the case may be, there is a, a blanket application that we will see in the word for the bride of Christ. So the challenge is one of commit these things to your mind. Commit these things to your heart as we go forward. You notice that in, in uh, chapter 31 that this text uh, not only describes a virtuous wife, but we also see throughout it a character that we've seen in the Proverbs, uh, woman wisdom, the woman of wisdom. So we see that character. So the text will go back and forth from talking to an actual bride to also being a, a representative of the woman of wisdom does thus and so. So we'll, we'll flip back and forth as we go through the text. So let's open up, um, like I said, Proverbs 31, starting with verse 10. It says this, An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. When we see the word excellent in our translation, it's a very poor translation from the original language. What the, the original world, word excellent comes out um, from, from the Hebrew is strength, capability, skill, valor, wealth. There's connotations of an army. There's connotations of a military troop. And there's also the idea of a warrior. All in that word excellent. So what the text is saying to us is the one who finds a valor, a strong, a capable, a warrior is good. So if we have this idea that the Bible is looking to, to put women under, to put women down, very few words that we've looked into, we see what does it do? That the Bible actually lifts the woman up, builds her up. There's no place of, of, of shamming or, or sh you know, pushing down into a box, but rather lifting up. Look what it also it says. Who can find it gives the idea that this is, this is a difficult woman to find. This is a difficult, it's a treasure hunt for us to find this woman. Difficult, but not impossible. There's a big difference. What I've seen is I've had the privilege of walking alongside many young men is I feel like they gave up the hunt too early. Wait for the one. Wait for the one that exhibits excellence. Wait for the one that has these 
character traits as we see outlined in his word. Wait for them. They're difficult to find, but they're worthy to find. Look at the rest of the text. It says this, she is far more precious than jewels. One of the things we know about rare jewels is that the more rare they are, what's it do to their value? It's higher, right? So this, this treasure that we see in Proverbs, this woman that has excellence, she is a rare find. But when you find her, you are going to see a value in her that blows your mind. Again, remember, application, bride of Christ. That we have a responsibility before our God to present to the world an excellence. To present to the world a rarity that brings value through the roof. Verse 11. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. When it says about the heart of her husband, what, what's being said here is the very core, the innermost place of the man trusts his wife. Because he has searched and searched for the rare, valuable, precious jewel. He knows her character. He knows her heart. And knows that she is a worthy investment of her heart as well. The husband's heart trusts this wife that we're looking at together. When the word says that he will have no lack of gain, that word gain often refers to the spoils of, of battle. Again, meaning that this bride, she's capable. She's able to engage into the battle. There will be gain that will be used and utilized as husband and wife together in this pursuit. It reminded me of Proverbs 18.22 when he says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. There is a blessing from God that comes to the man who finds this bride, who finds this sister that exemplifies these characteristics. Look at verse 12, the end of it. Or I'm sorry, verse 12. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. The idea to do good is rooted in the idea of speaking. So what the text is saying for us here is that this woman of character, this woman that is, is grounded in wisdom, she speaks well of her husband. And you see the opposite is also in place, that she does no harm, which means destruction, evil, ugliness. She's not letting these things proceed from her mouth. That as long as her life goes, she speaks well of her husband. Body of Christ. We are called to speak well of our husband. We, we are called to, to not do harm to our groom. That make sense? See how the application becomes one of we have necessity as the body of Christ to do the same type of thing that we see modeled here in the marriage relationship, to do good unto our God and not harm. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. The, the connotation here is that even if this woman should outlive her husband, she will still speak well of him. Even if he is long gone, she will still bring about praise from her lips of her husband. 
when I was reading through this text, I thought about this idea of doing good towards and not harm in all the days of their life, and my mind automatically went back to Genesis 3.16, and what's happening here is the fall has taken place. Men and women have, men and women have chosen independence from their God, and there's an element of consequence that comes down to each of them, to the serpent, to the woman, to the man, different consequence that God brings when he says, you chose independence of me. And because you chose independence, there is an element of consequence for you. And the consequence for the woman, for Eve, is your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. I remember looking at this text and thinking, that sounds pretty good. And her desire is for her husband, and, and yet he will, he will rule over. But her desire is for, again, for is a horrible translation what the original language is. For in this context actually means against. So when sin entered the world, there rose up in the flesh of Eve a desire to be against her husband. But because there's a design in place, because there is an order that God has established, it says even though that rises up within you, he will still be the ruler over you. And I thought through that even more that the very design of God has been frustrated by the fall. The very design of God of husband and wife has been absolutely frustrated by the presence of sin. Therefore, when the, the woman of wisdom does this man good and not harm, she's operating in accordance with God's original design. Ladies, when you speak well of your husband, you are actually moving in accordance with God's original design. The opposite is also true. Let's look at verse 13. <clears throat> she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. What we see here is that we have a woman that is very resourceful. She's forward-thinking in provision. She's a wise investor. She's willing to get her hands dirty. She's willing to be up late at night, early in the morning, to provide for those who God has put in their sphere of influence. There's a beautiful picture of giving up herself for the sake of another. We see that also in verse 16. She considers a field and buys it. She looks at uh, in an investment property, and she has the wherewithal to know this is a good investment. How does she pay for the investment? With the hands, with the work of her hands. That's how she plants the vineyard, is that she is engaged in the economical decisions of the home. She's able to make decisions in that direction. So you see that she works hard. She has incredible skill set. She utilizes that skill set in the marketplace. She utilizes that skill set in the organization of her home. Those who she provides for early in the morning are so that they can go about and do their job to the best of their ability because they have a few eggs in their stomach. That's kind of the picture that we see is that this woman is forever looking for the needs that need to be fulfilled and she steps up to the plate to do so. Verse 17. I love this verse. She says, it says that she dresses herself with strength, strength and makes her arms strong. The idea of dressing herself, what that actually means is that she girds up her loins. 
the idea for men is that when we gird up our loins, it means we're going to battle. So what we see in this wife, in, in, in the godly bride, in the, not only the bride of Christ, but the bride of, of actual marriage, she girds herself up with what? Strength. Strength has a couple different connotations to it. One is power, and the other is refuge. So she provides and creates within herself a refuge for those who come to her. That's where a strength is, is shored up. That's where a strength comes out in this bride is providing a place of refuge for those in her sphere of influence. I love that her arms are made strong, meaning that they're made strong from continuous determination. She's getting her hands dirty. She is in the battle. She's in the workplace. She is in doing what God has called her to do, and there's a strength that comes even to her very physical stature in her arms. Verse 18. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable, and her lamp does not go out at night. She is a wise businesswoman. She knows how to make good investment. She knows how to, she knows what she pr produces, and she knows the value of it. When it says that her lamp doesn't go out, there's a couple different meanings that have been derived from that. It means that she has, in forethought, brought about provision to the lamp, enough oil to burn through the night, that it won't go out. That, she, that the foresight is, we will need this as a household and as a family and as, as, as a marriage, and therefore, I will do everything in my ability. I'll put my hands to work so that this provision is established and is made possible for our household. There's also a connotation of working into the night. There's also an idea that there's a sign of prosperity, that when we have enough oil to keep the light on, if you will, there's a beautiful picture of there's a, that foresight of these are the needs that will come up in our family. Verse 19, she puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the, splint, the, the spindle, meaning she is absolutely running her spinning wheel and creating yarn. She's creating thread that can provide for clothing, that can repair clothing, that can make bed coverings, that can do all kinds of different things. Now, women, it doesn't mean you have to go get a spinning wheel. It's not what the Scripture's saying. There's an idea there that she foresees the need that will come up in her home, and she is trained and willing to answer those needs. Verse 20. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. This is one of those texts that you could very quickly just read over and miss. There's little nuances that we want to pluck out. There's meat that we want to chew on in the midst of this. The first picture you have is that she extends her hand to the poor. She is giving to those who are poor out of her fullness. There's been a provision being made for the home. There's a, there's a satisfaction in the home, and out of that satisfaction, she extends to those who have less. And not only does she extend the hand and, and give to those who are poor, what does it say that she reaches out her hands for the needy? So the visual picture is this, that not only does she offer out like this, but she also embraces those who have need. 
not only just embraces and gives a hug and a pat on the back and say, you're going to make it, Skipper, keep going. She draws them into herself, and because the need is known, she does something about the need. What a beautiful picture of not only a physical bride, but the bride of Christ. My challenge to you would be, not just during the Christmas season, but year-round, Father, would you open my eyes to the needs that I might be able to embrace with both arms, that I may be able to draw into myself and not just say, hey, I'll pray for you, which is great. I'm all for the power of prayer. But I also know that there are times where we're to offer a meal. <laughs> we see a need and we embrace it. Let's be a bride of Christ that exhibits this character of our God that says, there are those who are in need. Let's respond. Let's do something as the bride of Christ together. What I love about this is that, remember this woman that we're looking at, all of the decisions that she makes are made in wisdom. She's checking in with her God. She's checking and she has this good, solid foundation of fear of the Lord, awe and reverence for the Lord. She knows what the word of the Lord says. And so when a need comes up, she's checking in with the Father and his spirit to say, is this a yes for you? Is this a no for you? I simply want to be obedient to what you call me to be about. God's yes becomes this bride's yes. God's no becomes this bride's no. There will always be more need than you could ever fulfill. But there will never be too much call that you can't fulfill. Because God will call you into it and say, this is where I want you to enact my presence in this moment, in this situation, right now. Verse 21. She's not afraid of snow for her household. For all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. The idea of scarlet here is that a double thick material. She has the provision in place. She knows the cold times are coming and she's made provisions for her home. She also has brought about, you see that the bed coverings and the family is, is covered with the, the, the idea of purple. The idea here is royalty. That she does what she does with excellence as she comes forward. She clothes those in our home with excellence. And the picture again is that of royalty. Verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. I love this picture is that what is happening <clears throat> is that the, the, the gates were the public place where counsel was given. The gates were the public place where judgment was given. The gates were the public place where you would come if you had any kind of disturbance or any kind of impasse within, with a brother. So you would come there and you would gain wisdom on how to make it through the obstacle. And so what's inferred in this verse is that her husband, because they have collectively had a wisdom brought from God, he is in the position of honor and respect at the gates, speaking to all of the community. That's what's happening in this, in this, um, in this series of verses, is that because there's this incredible wisdom that is shared between a husband and wife in their home, it doesn't stay there. It goes out to the streets as well. 
this God is made known in the streets, not just within the home. The husband also knows that his wife's skill and diligence is so solid that the home is not a worry for him. He's not worried about the home. He knows that she is a woman of excellence and therefore provides an atmosphere, provides a haven that has this sense of of non-worry, no room for worry in the midst of this home. Verse 24, she makes linen garnets and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. The original text is really cool here. It means she makes linen garments and sells them, and she delivers sashes to the merchants. That's what's going on. There's nothing special. She's simply, she's making things and she's selling them. She has the ability to do that in the marketplace. Verse 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. This bride puts on clothing every day. And the clothing that she puts on is of power and refuge. So the beautiful dance of those two together, both power and refuge. And dignity, listen to this folks, means splendor. It describes an object that is beautiful and instills awe for whoever looks upon it. So when we look at this text and we see that she clothes herself with strength and dignity. She is a refuge for those. And she is also a woman that inspires awe for all of those who look upon her. Bride of Christ. What a challenge for us to the world. To have the world look in and have awe. I want what they have. I want to to lay hold of what is being exhibited in this bride of Christ to the world. What a humbling, convicting, encouraging challenge for us is that we might be able to provide for the world because of the, the empowerment of the groom, the ability to show an awe, a splendor that would draw them into the person of Jesus. She laughs at the time to come, meaning she's not afraid of the future. She's a woman of character and wisdom. Therefore, she is not worried, and also because she's practiced practiced economical prowess, she's not worried about her financial future as well. So we see this bride not trapped in worry, but rather knowing, I know who holds the future. And he is my love. And therefore, worry finds its no rest in my heart because I know the bride, or the groom, rather, that holds my future. Verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. When she opens her mouth with wisdom, one of the things that I think is so key for us, especially in the marriage relationship that we see here on earth, is that tone is everything. Ladies, you could lean over into your husband's ear right now and with a specific tone, whisper a few words and you'd fire him up. You get him pretty excitable or angry, right? Men, 
You have the ability to lean over into your, into your lady's ears and whisper something that can make them mad, make them excitable. Tone is a huge part of bringing about wisdom. What do we see in the word? Speak truth in love. It reminds me also where we see in Proverbs 25, 11, it says a word fitly spoken, a word spoken in right circumstances is like apples of gold among settings of silver. It's beautiful. I venture to say the opposite is also true. When a word is not to be spoken, it's a disaster. It's ugly. It brings about the harm that we were looking at earlier in the text. Men, women, as we interact as the bride of Christ. Let your words be edifying and build up. Let them be seasoned with salt. Let them be those that absolutely encourage and spur on to good works. Amen? <clears throat> I love that in the, in the rest of this verse, says she's teaching kindness. And the teachings of kindness is on her tongue. She is teaching others how to be kind. How do you teach something? You experience it, and then you teach it. The bride of Christ, the bride that we are illustrating in Proverbs 31, she is a kind person, and she teaches others to do the same. Again, another good challenge for us as the bride. I love that she speaks with purpose. Her words are chosen. She, she's, she uses one word, or she doesn't use two when one will work. There's a purposeness her speak. She's not looking to open her mouth simply to fill the airwaves. Right of Christ, same challenge. Let the Lord direct your words. Let the Lord direct the things that come from your mouth. Let's look at verse 27. She looks well to the ways of her household, and she does not eat the bread of idleness. All this says is that she's not lazy. She looks to that which God has entrusted her with, and she does it well. Bride of Christ, the same challenge. There are things that have been entrusted to you as the church. Take care of them well. Be a good steward of what's before you. And don't be a lazy person. Verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. One of the things that we've brought about as a discipline in our home is that I will gather the girls together and I'll gather my mother-in-law and we'll sit in the living room and when Leah comes out, we'll sing the hallelujah chorus. Just kidding. We, we don't do that. But that's the idea. It's like, oh, the precious jewel has arose. She is here. She's in her presence. Let's celebrate her. Have you seen her character? Have you seen how she handles herself? Have you seen the beauty that is absolutely within her that's just blowing out of her pores? There's praise for her character. Men, when's the last time you've praised your wife? And I don't mean replacing the praise of Jesus. I mean giving the compliment, giving the praise when it's due. When's the last time you've encouraged your bride? When's the last time you did gather the kids together and hallelujah? That's what's going on here. The idea is that all of those in the household recognize the beauty, the rarity, the purity of this bride. And they celebrate it. Bride of Christ, we are called the same. We are called to be a people that celebrate one another. Not for the sake of pride, 
but for the sake of God looks good on you, and I'm going to make it known to you. I'm going to sing that out loud to the nations, how God looks so good on you. Her children rise up, call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Verse 29. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. What the text is saying here is that there are women who have done this well, but you, my beloved, you're the best at it. Can that be said of us as the bride of Christ? That there's a lot of people out there that claim the name of Jesus, but you, oh, you stand out. You're, you're better than any of the rest of them because of our intimacy is tight. Our relationship is intact. You're consciously aware of my presence in your life. A lot of them do it. A lot of them do it well. But you stand out. Verse 30. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Charm doesn't have the ability to offer what it's selling. Charm doesn't have the ability to offer what it's selling. Meaning, charm is temporary at best. If we think about just being charmed by somebody, if we think about that, that, that it was, you think of your first date you went on, remember there was no problems in you, and there's no problems in them, it was perfect. It's like, oh my gosh. And then you hang out for about three minutes. You say, oh, there's probably some flaws, right? You start seeing those things. But the first front that we, br- we bring forward, a lot of times looks like charm. And what the text is saying is, it's, it's temporary. What do we see with beauty? Beauty, it says, <clears throat> is vain. The word vain means without breath, empty, or futile. So what what the text is saying to us is not that beauty is bad. What the text is saying is that if we make all of our decisions simply on the outward beauty, there's no life in it. There's no breath. Because there's one certainty. Every one of us are a day older than we were yesterday. Now my wife, I believe, is the only person in all of history that has defied this. This woman becomes more beautiful every day. I don't know how she does it. It's fantastic. I mean, I think back in my mind the beauty that I saw when we were in college, and I see the beauty that's in her now. I think, how how did she get more beautiful? Her nose is the same, her eyes. How does she get more beautiful? Guess what it is? She is a woman that fears the Lord. She has an awe and a reverence that is grounded within her that just grabs my attraction, grabs my affection because it looks good on her. Right of Christ, we're called to be the same. We are called to be men and women that have that sense of fear and awe and reverence of our God that surpasses any type of human beauty. What I love about this particular book of the Bible is that it ends in verse 30 with what it began back in chapter 1, verse 7. Chapter 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
So we see is that that theme carries out all throughout the book that if you know God, you have awe and reverence for him, wisdom and knowledge will be yours to experience. If you don't know God, if you don't have awe and reverence for him, these things will evade you. You'll make decisions that will be poor and not lining up with the God with whom we have to do. The fear of the Lord is a life-living, wholehearted obedience to God's revelation through his word. That's why this bride that we're looking at in verse 30 can go beyond charm, can go beyond physical beauty, and can, and can be said as it does, is worthy to be praised. It's worthy to be praised. Verse 31 says this, Give of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Don't hold on to praise that needs to be loosed into the bride's life. Don't hold on to it. It's not yours to retain. It's one that is to be offered back to the appropriate recipient. Let the, the work of her hands, like the, like the scripture says, let her works praise her in the gates. Let what she does, not just what she says, but let what she does be the basis for which praise comes to her. So you can see there's application all through Proverbs 31, not only for our physical brides, not only for our single women in here, not only for our single men in here, but also for the bride of Christ in general. What I pray is that he continues to refine us. He continues to bring about a, a closer picture to what our groom looks like. That he would, he would continue to refine us into that for his praise and for his glory. One of the ways that we get to celebrate this relationship between groom and bride. Remember, because Jesus says we are the body of Christ. We, we are his bride. One of the ways that we get to celebrate that reality is because of what took place on the cross. And so what we are going to celebrate this morning as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ, is communion. We're going to come together as men, women, sisters, and brothers and celebrate the body broken for us. Celebrate the blood poured out on the cross so that we might be in this love relationship with the groom. So as we, we have stations all over the auditorium this morning, what I ask that you do is that you come, you take the bread, you take the wine, and you bring it back to your seat. And as you do that, we will celebrate together. We will celebrate the remembrance of the body broken for us. We will celebrate the, the, the blood poured out so that we might be in relationship with our God. One of the things we celebrate here as Rimrock Church is what we call open communion. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus, this table is open to you. If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, I would ask that you wait. But you wait with an expectancy. Today can be the day that you enter into relationship with this groom. Today could be the day where you say, I surrender, I want you to be king of my life. And then we can sup together, we can enjoy 
the elements together and enjoy the remembrance of what this Jesus has done for us. So please, as we begin to play music, grab the elements, return to your seat, and we'll partake together.